that even wants to talk about prayer. It's kind of interesting even like to read it in that way because I think it is true that we often talk about prayer more than we actually pray. And it's one of those things that is a bit of an oxymoron because we do talk a lot about it. And today we want to do that, but we also want to spend some time in prayer together as well. There's one quote
this idea of worship. And uh, again, as I said, there's much more to this than what Aaron and I can put together. But I think even in prayer, I think there's much more to this than maybe that are not quite so obvious. And they're not controversies and conflicts that are external necessarily, but I think prayer raises controversy and conflict internally within us. Be my guess. As I relate to people and, and talk to different individuals and some of you, and when it comes to this topic of prayer, I know that, that prayer creates some internal struggles and internal challenges as we wrestle with an understanding of who God is. And I know that for some people, they find themselves somewhere between a longing and anticipation of what prayer is and what prayer can do, and, and also there's some frustration and difficulty. And sometimes even just a little smattering of guilt. So I know that prayer can cause some of that tension and some of that struggle in our prayers as we wrestle with prayer and how we pray. And how do we relate to one another in prayer? So let's read First uh, Timothy chapter 2 and verses 1 to 8, as Paul is instructing uh, his young disciple. And he says, I encourage you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and be effective for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God with men, the man Christ Jesus. And he gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message that God gave to the world through his appointed prophets. And I've been chosen as a preacher and apostle to teach the Gentiles the message of salvation. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm just telling the truth. And in every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God free from anger and quarreling. Prayer. As we look back at these first verses that we read here today, and Paul starts off and he says, I urge you. And in, in my translation, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. It says, therefore, or then, applying back to chapter 1 and saying, given all this that we've talked about, given the importance of the truth of this gospel, given the challenges and the conflicts that you're going to feel in our community, given all this, then you need to pray. Then you need to be a man of prayer. You need to lead your church in prayer. You need to help people understand the importance in all ways for all people. Like, just learn to pray. Be passionate about prayer. Be disciplined in prayer. And he's saying to Timothy, this is some of the most important work that you do, and you need to forget it. You need to understand it. That when it comes to this kind of work, he says the beginning and the middle and the end is prayer. And, and so often we start this work and we do this work in a prayerless way. And, and so Paul is discipling Timothy and the church and saying, this spiritual work that we do, Good news about Jesus Christ, and that's that important to you, and that's 
person that you are committed to praying above, above those who appear pessimistic or seem to be despondent. So he encouraged him to be that person. So I mentioned at the beginning that we're going to not just talk about prayer, but we are also going to be taking questions at this time. So what I want you to do right now is for a moment, maybe just for 10 seconds, just quiet your mind for a moment. And I want you to think of somebody in your life that, that you do actually pray for on a pretty regular basis. Maybe there's a very specific person and a very specific need or a situation that you've brought to the Lord many times. And I want you to think about that one for a minute. It'll probably come easy for you because it's the thing you prayed about this month. Similar to what Paul says, I want you to just think about this situation or this person, and I want you to just lift this up to the Lord and, and give thanks for this person and bless this person. Just pray for this situation. Would you do that for about 30 seconds?
because of what is going on in the context of what's been said. And when you understand that, you get a bit more of a sense of what Paul is saying here, the implications of what Paul is saying here to Timothy in this setting. There's a, a great res- uh, Roman historian. His name is, uh, let me say his name, Macinus Aelius, who both hated Christians, but he also thought that Nero unjustly attacked them. So as a historian, he has a bit of a balance, too. And he writes uh, in the history book about this event and about this time. And I want to read a rather long quote that he wrote that just gives an idea to you some of what was happening at the time that this historian is writing about Nero and about the fire and about the persecution that came to Christians. Now, this guy is not favorably towards Christians. He's no fan of Christians. In fact, he's not a Christian at all, but he does think that they unjustly attacked him here. He says this, quote, Cut short the public outcry. Nero had to find someone guilty and blame the race of men despised for the perversity of their writings, commonly called Christian writings. The names the name comes from Crispus, or Christ, who was put to death when Pontius Pilate was proconsul, or curator of Judea. Now, this pernicious superstition, memorizing Christianity, has broken out anew, not only in Judea, the place of origin of this scourge, but even in Rome, where all that is shameful and abominable comes together and at first were arrested those who openly confessed their belief. Then after their accusation, a great multitude were imprisoned, not disapproved of having gone through fire, but because they were regarded as being burning the people to get rid of them. They were put to death with refined cruelty, and Nero added scorn and derision to their suffering. Some were clad in the skins of wild beasts and thrown, thrown to the dogs to be devoured. Others were nailed to the cross, others burned alive. And still others covered with inflammable materials which had been set on fire to serve as torches after sacrifice. Nero allowed his gardens, Vatican Hill, to be used for this spectacle, which also included circus games. And he proclaimed the opening of the circus games. As he proclaimed the opening of the circus games, he himself, driving a chariot, dressed as a charioteer, mingled with the crowd. Although these punishments were against blameworthy They had been sacrificed not from God, but from the cruelty of men. Now you understand what this particular event that Paul is writing about. This is the context that Timothy is receiving from he's being discipled by Paul. This was their authority. This was the hard stuff that they were facing. And as much as we may like or dislike our government or those in authority or those who bring it into play, in a sense, like we have done here, here in Vancouver, you think about the um, things that Jesus faced. He said, you know what, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He says, you need to live in such a way that you respect those in authority and those in government. And the prophet, you see Jeremiah talking about this as well, even when he was speaking to the people of Israel who were in exile. And he said that it's these prophetic instructions. And he's saying, you need to have loyalty to the surrounding power structures that you find yourself in. He says this in Jeremiah 29, And work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare, for the preserving your welfare. 
place of authority where you find yourself, right? Even when you find yourself, maybe you feel like you're, you're in exile. Maybe some of you have lived in this part of the world and you felt that you received a life that you were in exile. It's like Paul is saying, you need to pray for that. Well, we need to pray. So we need to pray for those people. Some of you maybe feel like that. You moved here to Saskatoon. You got offered there. This is exile. Like, what are we going to do here? And then Paul is saying,
So Paul's concern in this text is that we would have the kind of society and that we would pray for the type of society that would support God's mission in the world. Because we see that throughout this text that his passion is for this good news of Jesus Christ to go out uninhibited and unhindered so that more and more people would come to faith and more and more people would know who Jesus is. And so he says, pray in that direction, pray in that direction, that we would have that kind of society. So he says that to Timothy and also to the church, and, and he's saying, you know, live quiet and peaceful lives marked with godliness and holiness in your behavior. And, and last week we talked about this, this idea that our testimony matters, or that uh, our witness matters, how we live our lives, our testimony that is verbal and our testimony that is actual, that is real, and, and how we don't want our testimony of our lives to discredit the words that we speak. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, live in such a way that your testimony has traction. Live in such a way that your testimony gives fertile soil to the words that you're going to speak to this gospel of Jesus Christ that we are proclaiming. And so pray for this kind of society. Pray for this kind of people. And it's far more than just respectability. It's far more than saying, you know what, just live as good citizens. Don't ever, you know, don't ever say anything to rock the boat or stand up or speak out or any of that. Not implying that. Because we don't see that in Paul. We see Paul addressing things, challenging things. To make a difference in the world in which you live, to make a difference in the city that you live, he's talking about that all the time. He's saying, get involved. Bring the gospel. But live in such a way that your testimony gives witness and credibility to the spoken word of Jesus Christ. And so we need to live like that. We need to pray for those kinds of people. Now we know that as we look through history, we know that the gospel seems to get all kinds of traction in places of persecution. So you might say, well, I mean, we shouldn't pray for persecution, but we don't really see that in Scripture, and so I don't know that we need to pray for that. That just sort of comes when we truly live out the gospel. But Paul is saying, you know what? You have leaders who allow you to be able to gather in churches with unspoken rules that have been spoken by Paul. Not people like this, but you have Bibles in our hands that we preach a different kind of faith to. And so pray for those kinds of people. But at the same time, engage your culture with cultural engagement that, that changes the Understand the people around you enough to, to know where their beliefs are at and what questions are stirring in their heart. And sometimes, as churches and as the people of God, we're answering questions that nobody's asking. And so, do you understand the questions of your culture? Do you understand the questions of your city and the issues that are there in front of you? And are we people like that? Pray that God would give us wisdom for that so that we can be effective witnesses and give answers to questions that people want answers to. And the burning issues that are on people's hearts and minds. And we would live in that kind of way. Colossians chapter 4, uh, verse 26 is a, a text that is kind of like a parallel text where Paul says some similar things. I want to just read it for you. He says this, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. And pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about the mysterious plan of Jesus Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response. So here is Paul is writing another letter to 
another church in another city, he's saying basically the same thing. He's saying, you need to devote yourself to prayer. Be people of prayer. Blurt mind. Meaning you understand what's going on. You, you understand the city that you live in and the people around you. You know the issues. Be alert and be in prayer. And be somebody who gives thanks to God. And again, this theme of thanksgiving that comes through in Paul's letters on a regular basis. And, and then he says, live in such a way that your life brings credibility to the people. Or are you living in such a way, too, that, that, that people will see the testimony and the evidence of what you're proclaiming about Jesus Christ? Paul had a great passion for the people that God had placed around him. His passion was that, that people would not create obstacles to the gospel, that, but that, that the only obstacle might be Jesus Christ himself, that he wasn't stumbling blocks. And, and we see that even in the, the next text that come our way, where he says, you know what, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. But there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Jesus Christ. He gave his life, he purchased freedom for us from sin and death. And so Paul is saying here that, that God's desire is that all would be saved. That it's this very comprehensive gospel, that it's for everyone, everywhere. It's very broad in its reference to all peoples. It's, it's very universal saying is it says, yeah, there, there can be the stumbling block of Jesus Christ, but don't let anything else get in the way, especially in terms of your lifestyle and how you live. But he says that there are exclusive claims of Christianity about this way that we are calling people to follow Jesus Christ. And it's an invitation to everyone. God's desire is that all would be saved, that all would know the truth of salvation. sense in this world where people come from, oh yeah, this kind of faith, and many ideas and understandings of, of God, but it's all at some point dissolved and dissipated. But if you come to understand these faiths and understand the teachings and how they point to God and how they talk about God, you realize that these are very different truths that speak of each other, and they can't really be reconciled. Somewhere they're so we have to test the claims and discern and, and ask the question, what is truth? What is truth? Are these claims that Paul is making here simple? Are these just simple? And we have to ask that because the Bible speaks about this very narrow way. It's this wonderful invitation that is open to all. It's this open invitation to embrace Jesus Christ and the hope that this will lead to. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, Peter also says this. He is writing to the church, and he says, in regards to the second coming of Jesus, he's speaking to believers and wondering why they're being slow. And he said, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise that some be delayed. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to come to repentance. So again, we see in Peter and Paul and Ruth that God's desire is that all would be saved. God's desire is that, that people would repent, that all would come to faith. saying something here that is so important to understand that he is proclaiming to Timothy and saying, you need to understand that God's desire is that people 
step out faith. 